We are so close to the end of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 25 in your Bibles today. Leviticus chapter 25. Again, just to reiterate, this is about trying to understand how holy our God is. And we have to understand that when we read a a book like Leviticus, this is about God wanting to be and dwell in the midst of His people who are a sinful, unclean people. The imagery of the tabernacle, the imagery of the uh, various offerings and sacrifices, the imagery of the priesthood, all of these things uh, coalesce to a picture of Jesus, completely and perfectly fulfilled in Him. How can we draw near to God as sinful people? Through the blood of the perfect atoning Lamb. That's how we come. The same faith that it takes for us to know Christ today, to know and be right with God today, is the same faith it took for them back in those days As they look forward, we look back, but all of us are justified by faith in Christ, all of us. Typology of the old, the revealed work of it in the new, all in Christ. So, the Sabbaths of the Lord then, if you will. We talk about the Sabbath a lot. We we actually, if you remember, we preached through the Sabbath for a spell and understood that it is a creation ordinance given by God. It is not extinguished. It is not, um, it, it hasn't gone away. It's still in play, still in force, and it will be. But the idea of the Sabbath primarily was rest. Rest and worship to our Maker. Well, rest and dependence upon our Maker. But rest. This was given pre-Mount Sinai, so pre-the Decalogue, pre-before the, the Ten Commandments. It was enshrined and certainly inscripturated in the Ten Commandments, the fourth one. And then some people say, and I've heard them say, well, Christ fulfilled all the law, therefore I do not have to play, uh, I don't have to give any more uh, adherence to a Sabbath. And that's, that's just wrong and short-sighted. In fact, I was reading a book that Brother Jeff let me lend by uh, Brother J.C. Ryle. And I've read it in other places too, but it says this, As soon as the Sabbath goes amongst God's people, the church begins to go. But then, the nation with which that begins to happen, so the nation begins to go. Everything is held in account by This creation ordinance of what we call the Sabbath. It's a day to stop. And it's a day to remember that I am a creature and I have a creator. My creator rested. I am to rest. And as I rest, I am to make the Sabbath a holy rest. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But how do I make the Sabbath a holy rest? So when we read Leviticus 25, we're not going to read the entire chapter because there's just a lot of it here. But I think what I want to do is read through verse 34. 
And we will get into this. And so in honor of God and His Word, let us stand. Leviticus chapter 25, verses, verses 1 through 34. Okay, you all read along with me. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Did you hear that? The land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for your male and female servants, your hired man and the stranger who dwells with you, for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, and all its produce shall be for food. And verse 8, you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you forty-nine years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim the liberty or proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you and each of you shall return to his possession and each of you shall return to his family. The fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you, and in, and in it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your un, untended vine, for it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. If you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor, and according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price, and according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price, for he sells to you according to the number of years of the crops. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. So you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them and will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce? Then I will command my blessings on you in the sixth year and it will bring forth produce enough for three years and you shall sow in the eighth year. And eat old, old produce until the ninth year, until its produce comes in, you shall eat of the old harvest. The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption of the land. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has, some so, and, and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. But if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who brought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his possession. If a man sells a house in a walled city... 
Then he may redeem it within a whole year after it's sold. Within a full year, he may redeem it. But if it is not redeemed within the space of a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong permanently to him who bought it. Throughout his generations, it shall be released. It shall not be released in the Jubilee. However, the houses of villages which have no wall around them shall be counted as the fields of the country. They may be redeemed, and they shall be released in the Jubilee. Nevertheless, the cities of the Levites and the houses of the cities of their possession, the Levites, may redeem at any time. And if a man purchases a house from the Levites, and that house was sold in the city of his possession, shall be released in the Jubilee. For the, house, the houses in the cities of the Levites are the possession among the children of Israel, but the field of the uncommon land, or I'm, I'm sorry, but the field of the common land of their cities may not be sold, for it is their perpetual possession. Let's pray. God, there's a lot there that just seems really strange to us, but I get the idea, Lord, we are to understand that the year of Jubilee was a time of reset, a time of keeping everyone uh, put back on what they understand as you being their sole provider, a time not to oppress one another, a time of release, a time of redemption. So, Lord, help us to understand these great themes in this chapter today. Grant us this through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know that was a lot to listen to. I get it. I've had a lot of time to look at it, okay? And you'll probably maybe just be listening to it the first time. Although, since you know we've been preaching through the book of Leviticus, you should have been reading ahead, okay? So, the Sabbaths of the Lord. I think a good way to capture the thought of these is by the statement, a reflection of humility and dependence. That's what we see happening with the seven-year Sabbath, and that's what we see happening with the year of Jubilee, which is the seven sevens of it, okay? A time of complete and total dependence upon the Lord. Now, this plays right in part with the weekly Sabbath that was observed. This goes right along with that. But this idea of humility and dependence is exactly where we live in order to know who God is. Because God says He will resist the proud and He will give grace to the humble. And that He is especially drawn to those who are crushed of a humble heart. So we need to know that today. Now, just for a little bit of help maybe, we see in this chapter, in in verses 2 through 22... This, is, this all really has to deal with the Jubilee, but it's a Sabbath for the land, a rest for the land. The re- weekly rest for the people, but now we have the rest for the land. And the redemption of property, because as you're going along, sometimes you may fall on hard times. You may have to sell out. You may have to sell yourself into indentured servitude, in which case the Jubilee is a complete reset. Everything goes back to what it was before. So there can be no aristocracy developing. Everyone is kept level. And then finally, the redemption of slaves. Now, I didn't read all that because I understand that it gets a little tough listening to some of these things go. But we will talk. I will, t- I will touch briefly on that as I can as time permits here at the end. But the Jubilee is also the redemption of slaves. And in all of this, we see the redemption of that is in Christ, purchasing back that which was lost, all in Christ. Some of our helpful uh, commentators, Jay Sklar, I like what he said to introduce the, 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 the passage. It was of fundamental importance to the Lord 
that Israelites were in close relationships with their families, had ownership of land, and observed the Sabbath principle. And again, the Sabbath principle is that of rest. You stop, and you remember who you are, and you remember the God who made you. Okay? The purpose of, Levi, of Leviticus 25 is to ensure that all three realities continued in Israel. Close family relationships and land ownership were both threatened by debt, so they experienced it as well, which could force Israelites to sell their land and move away from their immediate relatives. The laws of redemption and jubilee provided clearance or cancellation of debt, enabling people to go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors. That would be a really cool thing to still have happen, wouldn't it, I think? These laws had the added benefit of maintaining a level of social equity. Now, this is true social equity. This isn't built on, you know, emotions that run wild. This is all built on truth and justice and humility and the very wise counsel of God. And so since the Jubilee meant that about once a generation, we're looking at 40 years, all Israelites had the opportunity of a fresh start on their own land. This was intended to prevent the creation of a feudal system in which increasing numbers of poor serfs served a small minority of rich landowners. And isn't that the American way? Right? Everybody, you get a few that gobble up all the land and everyone ends up working for them. We even see it in our dairy industry around here, don't we? Okay, that's how it is. There's no rest in any of it, by the way. But there's an interesting verse in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8. I'll just turn there for you and read that the nation of Israel were very much guilty of doing the very thing that God said not to do, which they were really good at doing. In, in Isaiah uh, chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Woe to those who join house to house, or in other words, Woe to those who accumulate houses, farms, lands, okay? They add field to field till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of all the land. In other words, they were doing exactly, some of these were doing exactly what God said not to do. And there's a lot of evidence that shows that observing the Jubilee was not practiced very long in their economy. It was a command of God. They were to do it. And they didn't really do it all that much. In fact, that was one of the main reasons why they got carted off to Babylon in the first place. Um, I, I want to just pause right here and say, gosh, I wish we had more time. <laughs> okay. Um, why do we think that we as human beings that get colds and sniffles, that get the gassies, and sometimes are laid up in bed because of something we ate wrong the night before. Why do we think that we can create our own philosophy by how we're going to approach God? We are so sensitive, and I mean physically, frail. Strength is fleeting. Beauty is fleeting. Why do we think we can fill in the blanks and say, God, I want to adjust your standard? As if to say, somehow there's room in the contract. First, there's no contract. 
Second, he's God. Third, there isn't a thing you can do about it. When you finally reach that point in your life and you feel your life slipping away from this physical body, there's nothing you can do. So please, get rid of your philosophy. Look to the God who made you and stop. Read what He has said in His Word to you. First, that you must repent of your sin and your iniquity. You're destroying yourself with it. Second, cry out to the one whom He sent as your provision and claim Him as Savior. Flee to Him for mercy. Have your sins washed away. And third, really begin to live so that whether you're in this body or out of this body, you're with Christ forever. That's redemption. And that's the grandest jubilee you can ever know. And it's eternal. So I just want to say it's illogical to think there's any wiggle room for you. There's no wiggle room except in your fantasy. I pray God will break your soul in half so that you would see that. Because the greatest mercy He can extend to a lost man or woman is allowing them to see the repugnancy and filth of their sin. Then, you, won't, you don't want to do anything else but get rid of it. Just get rid of it. As we go on, In this chapter, I want you to see in verses 2 through 7 of chapter 25. Speak to the children of Israel and say, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. A Sabbath to the Lord. You shall, neither snow, you shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you. That's what we call volunteer, okay? It shall be food for you, for your male and female servants, your hired man and the stranger who dwells with you. Now, I want you to get this picture in your head. You're completely agriculturally dependent society. You live and eat what you plant. And God is saying, on that year, you shall not plant. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Sabbath of solemn rest. No crops are going in. So that'd be, like, that'd be like when we come back around here to spring, that all the farmers, in fact, in the whole country, did not sow or plant anything. And everyone goes, are you nuts? We're going to starve to death. We will have to eat crickets. Okay? And some say, I'm going to starve to death. So, but this was, do you realize the, the amount of faith it took for these people to trust in God? See, God built in to this Special revelation of knowing him. This dependency. He put in a law. That they could. 
They were, they, were, they were never permitted to ever get too successful and too comfortable whereby they did not need to depend on him for everything. And our great undoing as an industrialized and technically, technologically advanced world is that we've developed farming practices that keep us fed all the time and rape the land and require massive amounts of artificial fertilizers and all kinds of other stuff constantly churning on these, these, this, these animals and on this land. And I say that as a farmer. I'm not a hippie farmer either. Okay, I'm not. But I got to tell you, I know the kind of chemicals we treated our land with. I know what urea is. I know the amounts of fertilizer. It's just over and over and over. And then came out what's known as double crop. It's not a new thing. It's been around for a long time. But when you got to pay your mortgage and last year's farm debt that you didn't get enough. And so you have to, it's just stacks on you all the time. You got a double crop. So behind wheat, we're going to chase it with soybeans. The land just keeps pushing, keeps pushing, keeps pushing. It's not how it was supposed to be. Now, you say, are you trying to say that the political law should apply to even the Gentiles and everybody too? I'm saying this, that God in the creation ordinance gave us a command to rest. And I am saying that when we, when we disobey our creator, when we get away from the natural flow of how, he thinks, how things ought to be, we got to then pump it up. And we got to begin to push on it to make it happen. If you, if you ever want a long talk that you may or may not enjoy, just ask Travis Flick about the term organic. Okay? Because he will go through the roof. In fact, I would challenge you, just for fun, at his expense, say, hey, Travis, I just want to say that it, it, I am so happy that you love organic farming practices. And just see what happens. I... That would be an excellent... I just want to be standing by. But he will begin to tell you the complete hypocrisy that goes into that whole system when you buy organic. And I'll tell you this much and I'll end because it's kind of a soapbox thing. If we truly were organic farmers, you all would be hungry. So no one's come up with a solution for that yet. Nonetheless, we have this principle... The land must rest as a Sabbath for the Lord. Now, who's it for? For the Lord. Where does the land get the sustenance, the rain, and the nutrients to do what it does in its natural uh, biome? From God. Okay? The Jubilee laws begin with a reminder of the sabbatical year. That's every seven years. As man works for six days and rest every seventh day. Again, fourth commandment. So the land must be tilled for six years and then allowed to rest by lying fallow in the seventh. During that year, there is to be no organized farming, sowing, pruning, or reaping. The children of Israel are to behave like the nomads they were before the conquest. Anyone can pick and gather whatever they find, wherever it is. But this should be of special benefit to slaves and other landless persons. That's how it was supposed to be. Sabbatical growth, in other words, used only with the meaning of what grows in the sabbatical year. So during the year they didn't plant, as you know, the land comes back volunteer. If you have gardens, sometimes you have onions that come up, right? 
Yay! There's not always a ton of them, but if you've got a large acreage, maybe. Rich's garden, I bet, has a ton of stuff because I hear, I hear what he tells me is growing out there by itself. I'm like, you should not even plant one year and see what happens. You'll have a pasquash or something. It's okay. A zucumber. <laughs> the year of rest proclaimed to the Israelites that the decisive factor, and this is important to understand, is not. Uh, daily work in the field or vineyard, but Yahweh, the giver of the land. Imagine, built into your culture, an entire year to completely be so focused on God, dependent on God, that He's all you thought about. How good could our culture use of a time of just focusing on God again? They might find out all the mysterious answers they've been looking for. In this way, the sabbatical year speaks even more clearly than the weekly Sabbath of the, rel- of the relativity of all work. The goal of all work is crown. It, or the goal of all work, its crown, is rest. The Sabbath before the Lord. So in the green, observing the Sabbath principle was important not only because it protected the people and the land from overwork, but also because obedience to it was the fundamental sign of covenant loyalty. So that made me think, what does it mean... What do we mean when we talk about covenant loyalty? The most fundamental sign of covenant relationship in my mind that believers in Jesus Christ can give is our daily lives. Now I want you to think on that. I was thinking about how, how do we show this? Daily reflecting Christ, which we do a poor job at it many times, but our I don't think there's a greater covenant sign of the new covenant promise that we possess, that we can give, than proving Jesus' existence by the way we live. Thus, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.15 And He died for all that those... Now look at this. This is the answer. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. So, so we have this admonition fleshed out here in the New... So what we have here in the, in the, in the, in the seven-year Sabbath and in the Jubilee is what? We see here in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that... That we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. I just don't have enough time for this one today, but we have so much, so much. There's just a never-ending onslaught of more. And the more we have, the less we think we need him. I went yesterday to a, 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 an elderly lady, and as she was there, I thought, man, you've seen a lot in your life. Then I think, but it's coming close to the end. You see, there's an end coming for everybody. That's, we're so shocked when young, peop- when young people are killed or die. 
there's an end coming. When you know Christ, there's no, there's no end. I imagine, whether it's sudden or gradual, when the Lord decides that it's time for me to go on to glory, I don't believe that I will ever have a nanosecond of aloneness. Death can't touch me. Now, my body, it's, it's, it's clearly decaying, okay? But in that moment, he's there. And the more death comes on for the Christian, the light just gets brighter. And his face shows more clearly. And then we see unfiltered, made complete. So no, there's no sting. There's no sting there. If you don't know Christ, though, I want to tell you this. That darkness will grow worse. And that sheer terror will become all you have. And for all eternity, all you will know is the wrath of God and its perfection. That is fear to be feared. That's why, praise God, you may be here. And I challenge you to run to Jesus. He's the only provision. Because he is the rest that's promised. I'm going to go fast now because I'm going to have to. But I want to talk about this jubilee. We've read the scriptures, but the jubilee occurred every 49 years. Okay? Every 49 years. The word jubilee is from the Hebrew word, which means horn. That jubilee it just means they made a horn out of an animal's horn. They made a horn. Or made a, yeah, a horn. The main purpose of these laws is to prevent the utter ruin of debtors. God was looking out. In biblical times, a man who incurred a debt that he could not repay could be forced to sell off his land or even his personal freedom by becoming a slave. We know that today as mortgage. <laughs> anyway, when left unchecked, the process led to great social division with a class of rich landowners exploiting a mass of landless serfs. The, the place from which my family line hails from Ireland was big into this. In fact, that's why my great, great, I don't know how many greats it was, Weston exactly, Walter, was caught poaching on a rich landowner's farm and was shipped off to the Quakers, bought as an indentured servant, and then was released after about seven years or so, I believe, because they were good-natured folk. And then he set off in America to do his own thing. And that's how we got here. But this was, the year of Jubilee was a way of keeping things reset. And so thus about once in, in any man's lifetime, roughly 40 or so years, the slate was wiped clean. Everyone had the chance to make a fresh start. The rich had to part with the land and slaves they had acquired in the previous 49 years, while the poor recovered their land and freedom. The Jubilee would have restored some semblance of equality between men, thereby recapturing some of the relationship that existed between men 
and their creation. And so what we see here then is a picture of redemption in Jesus. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Starting in verse 16, we'll read through 21. Luke chapter 4. So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And notice this verse. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery. So we have liberty and recovery of sight to the blind. And to set there at liberty, there it is again, those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he begins to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that made the religious leaders livid. In Isaiah 61 verse 1, from which Jesus was quoting the word used for release, okay, here we see it, is the same as what's found in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 10. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. So we see this Typology of the Jubilee happening with Jesus as sitting in that synagogue reading from Isaiah 61. It seems quite likely, therefore, that the prophetic description of the acceptable year of the Lord was partially inspired by the idea of the Jubilee year. The Messianic age brings liberty to the oppressed and releases the captives. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you are in bondage. To sin and Satan. You have a carnal lust for all things bad and ugly. And and while your sin may not look exactly like everyone else's, it's still the same. It's rebellion against your maker. It is pride in your own power. And it's a lie you tell yourself that somehow you're going to just work it out at the end. One of the other things that as I have visited with senior adults. You reach a certain age and when you're sick and you try to talk to them. They don't really talk very well. They can't track. They can't. uh, Cognitively they've declined and they can't hang on to thought they can't communicate they're all over the place and I find that to be so sad because for all those who say I'll work it out at the end you won't even be able to think straight to even put two words together much less deal with your soul at the last minute on your terms Mm -mm. no not true That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. 
that's why the Jubilee is Jesus setting you free, redeeming your life, releasing you, as Romans 6 talks about. I'll close with this because I just can't finish it all. This age was inaugurated with Christ's first coming. It will be completed by His second coming. The Jubilee then not only looks back to God's first redemption of His people from Egypt, but forward to the restitution of all things for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. (laughs) Gosh, it just gets so... I wish we shouted more. But in Acts chapter 3, In verse 21, I'll just, verse 19, for all of you who don't know Christ, listen to this. Please listen. Please. I don't want to come to your hospital room when you can't put two words together trying to reason with you from the scriptures. Please listen. If you don't know Jesus, I don't care how religious you are, spare me. I don't care how many times you've been baptized. Don't care. Doesn't matter. If you don't know Christ, you're lost in your sin. And the wrath of God right now abides on you. So listen. Here's the answer. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, because He's proclaimed liberty to the captives. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, in verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets. Notice when, since the world began. Now we're back to the garden. There is going to be a return to the garden So, you want to have your trinkets and your baubles. You want to have your reputation. And you want to have your pride and your rebellion. Why? Looking into the blessed liberty that Christ gives. Would you ever choose such a... Well, here's what I think of it like. On our front step. We have a full immigration of beetles coming to our home. Black beetles, stink bugs. You touch them and they stick their abdomen up in the air. Well, this one got stepped on. Somebody stepped on it. And it's just right there. And so when you walk, there's this, just this smush of a beetle. And every time Royce would come out, he'd go, ew. Right? And then, and then the other beetle coming along. Oh, my brother, my brother. No, he's eating him. Okay? But there he is. That life is just a stain and a piece of wood. And it's decaying and the sun's bleaching it out and soon it'll be gone. Do you get what I'm saying to you? Whatever you think you have that Jesus can't provide, I am telling you. You are living like a fool. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Repent, Jesus said. It's the first word of the gospel. Get rid of your sin lest you become a beetle on the doorstep of the world. Walked on and cannibalized only to eventually dry out and blow away. Except, unlike a beetle, you're an eternal soul. And you will go to hell. And there you will stay. Last verse. First Peter, or I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 13. Nevertheless, we according to His promise, that's us who, who know Christ, <laughs> look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. If righteousness dwells there, guess what won't? Unrighteousness. Sin, death, decay, pride, rebellion. It'll all be gone. And our homeland, our jubilee is eternal. I'm going to ask JT to come and play. If you are going to be baptized today, then you can feel free to go right into that room. When you are fully dressed, un- well, yeah, prepared... You can open that door. <clears throat> Have you ever thought about the seriousness of what the Bible talks about about preaching? We are declaring the gospel of God when we preach between life and death. You say, oh, you're just trying to scare us now. I'm not trying to scare you. If it would help, I would try. I can't save you. I can't convince you. But the Holy Spirit can. And if today you know that you are a false convert because the church is full of people who think they know Christ that don't. Doesn't matter what you've said or who you've said it to. It doesn't matter. Just repent. Receive Christ. You'll get, you'll get the greatest hug you've ever known from everyone that loves you thanking God that in his mercy he showed you your error second it may be that you just don't believe but now you know I need Christ and I would say to you then cry out to him Lord have mercy on me a sinner so just for a few moments while we get changed in an attitude of Holy rest. It's the Lord's day. This altar is open. Do business on it. Don't leave the same. Cling and run to Christ. Your rest. Your jubilee.